the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate, where topics of conversation include the topic of the day, which is us going on a deep dive into our two college football playoff semifinals. Of course, the Rose Bowl between one-seed Michigan, four-seed Alabama, and the Sugar Bowl between two-seed Washington and three-seed Texas. Uh, also in the chat, you know, including matchup discussions, there's also a, a you know, very, you know, we, just a question that I think a lot of people are talking about right now. Um, was, was Caleb Williams holding USC back? I think that's what college football is talking about right now. Uh, in the in the wake of a six touchdown performance from Miller Moss, as USC wins forty two to twenty eight, we don't need to go like deep dive on on the ins and outs of the game unless you've got a, a specific opinion. But DK, uh, as we welcome you back from your from your travels up to New York, you know, jumping on the uh, the mothership and 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 serving some duties there. I mean. I guess we walk away way more encouraged on the vibes around USC just with the way that that group rallied. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. We were wondering if Lincoln Riley was going to bolt to the NFL looking for an exit strategy post Caleb Williams. I think, you know, that's still always an option, but I think you can put that to bed now. And the bigger question mark was what happens, you know, the future, what, what's life like after Caleb Williams. And I think what we saw out of our guy, uh, six tutties, Pac-12 bowl record, holiday bowl record, USC record. I mean, it doesn't get better than what uh, Miller Moss put down. I thought also, too, just his execution in the offense, like aside from the stats, like he just looked comfortable. Anytime there was a challenge, he responded. You know, if Louisville scored, he put up an answer, you know, right back. So faced a little bit of pressure situations there. Can I put out a PSA, though? Yeah, sure. Just in general, something I've noticed last night started to get my timeline peppered a little bit, and I can only imagine it's going to get a little bit more increased with all the I told you so's or this is the same Louisville team that, you know, oh, no. Florida State couldn't score on with their third string. Oh, Look what USC did with their third string. Just if you take bowl season for anything but what it is, which is a bunch of exhibitions, it's basically spring football is what we're watching. 
and you try to core, you know, make a correlation between what you saw in the regular season, just stop because you will lose a lot of respect from anyone that knows how college football works, including myself. So just keep the tweets to yourself. I, I made the joke on Twitter yesterday. It's like anytime I watch a team win a bowl game, I'm like, I think this team can win 10 games next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that's where I'm at too. Like, I, I come out of it, and and look, I thought, for example, how about the the Louisville side of this? Like, I let's put Florida State to the side, but Jeff Brom said our defense got exposed. You know, and he was, and I saw a lot of you know accurate commentary that that Louisville offense didn't really get better in those last weeks of the season, and so that was. Um, you know, that was something that I did not see coming whatsoever. And I was you know very much on the like USC doesn't care. They're totally checked out. Look at these opt outs. And so there's there's something to be said for the fact that that group. And again, they took a punch early. Remember, it's like Louisville comes out. They score first. There's, you know, Miller Moss can't get anything going offensively. And to get up off the mat after a really poor start and be able to, uh, like you said, Danny, keep coming back with answers and never check out of the game I, is far more impressive of a reflection. We had a more impressive reflection of the DNA of the Lincoln-Riley program in this bowl game than we did most Saturdays during the season. And maybe that's a problem, but uh, I think it was uh, something that at least USC can carry into the offseason to help build a little confidence going into the Big Ten era. I mean, I, I think it's a also a reflection of how tough it is to judge quarterbacks, right? I mean, guys, USC has been pretty aggressive in the transfer portal with quarterbacks. The last time we saw Miller Moss play any real significant uh, snaps was like last year's Colorado game, and he was pretty terrible, to be honest. And clearly USC didn't think much of him because they're out there, you know, flirting with Walker Howard. or uh, uh, Will Howard. The, uh, Will Howard from, from Kansas State. So – we see this all the time, like teams misjudge what they have in quarterbacks. The way you play in practice doesn't always translate to how you play in games. However, I do think we should probably read into that. Like, I'm not all aboard the Miller Moss train. He okay. made some he made some nice throws, uh, but they also had some just ridiculously good screens drawn up that Louisville did not handle very well. And a lot of those uh, explosive plays were you know yak yards on some of those cross screens that, that USC ran with great effectiveness. I was actually pretty impressed with USC not giving Louisville a lot of freebies. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a, kind of a hallmark of the USC defense this year. Just nobody around, right? And USC's defense just, they didn't do anything amazing, but they didn't give up just a lot of wide open guys at a, like they had been doing. It just seemed like they really took the mantra of let's simplify it, let's just play hard, try to take on some blocks. Maybe they're already being more physical in practice uh, with, with the new D.C., in place. I, 10 plays into this game, I, I had to jump on CBS Sports HQ and do like one of those live betting segments. 10 plays into this game, Louisville's offense was averaging seven yards a play and just sort of moving the ball at will. And they settled in and uh, I think it was a it was a good sign for uh, for the players that are going to be back. It looked like they they wanted to be there. And so um, that was that was certainly impressive from Wednesday night. <clears throat> Before we get into our biggest game breakdown, uh, any other Wednesday night Thoughts from uh, any of the football that we saw or, or followed along with? Uh, I have Virginia Tech fans telling me that they uh, should expect to win nine games next year. They're going to win 10 so games. Again, bowl games aren't real. Bowl games no, aren't they're real. They're going to win games 10 games. There was like, what, nine fumbles in that game in the rain? Yeah. Mm. Like, I mean, I don't <laughs> do know. You guys, 
Can I just they, tell, they can can I do a, games. Can we do an interlude, a live betting interlude right here? Sure. Because before the game, BC was a 13 and a half point dog, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am seeing a live line based on one drive and one turnover from SMU for right now. I can get SMU at minus eight and a half. Mm. It seems a I, bit of an overreaction, right? If I had to bet that, I would take the I, I would lay the eight and a half. Same. Um, yeah, that's uh, some like other one sites drive. That we I haven't think seen are, that much action yet. Some other spots that I think are, are better with their live algos than what I'm assuming you're on uh, are dealing ten juice. So, so you got a point um, and a half. Yeah, I'm in Florida, so figure. I will it out. say this: this could be like yesterday's military bowl. Um, yeah, this, I also saw it suggested based on the military bowl that if, if we really want to add some spice to some of these other bowl games, if we can't actually have it in, in the weather, let's just grease up a football and just see who yeah. can, go, you know, who can go out there and, and make it happen with like a, like the greased up watermelon. So, you know, like, you can fumble nine times and still win a football game. That's what Virginia tech showed us. That's resiliency, but congratulations on Brent Pry for real, because we mentioned Virginia tech going into this game really had to fight to even get to a bowl game then to add a uh, a 41 to 20 win against Tulane on top of that was very impressive for sure all right <clears throat> it's time to do it we normally like to spend time you know just like going deep dives into the games and and for some of these bowl games we haven't done that it is more of like a best bet vibes breakdown no 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 this one matters more than any of it it's the college football playoff semifinals and these are big game breakdowns let's tackle this one chronologically and begin at 5 p.m eastern time kickoff out in the rose bowl between michigan and alabama we are i would like to get to the the coaching matchup side of this but i want to begin with uh, maybe a little nitty gritty first before we go big picture uh bud when you're starting to think about the way that alabama and michigan are going to line up where are the matchup like hinge points like wh- where is going to be like the leverage established as these two teams feel each other out and uh and try to you know get things going in their direction early on so i i think if you look at um Michigan's defense, I I would expect them to try to copy at least somewhat the Georgia plan, which I thought was pretty effective against Alabama for the most part. Alabama scored more points than they probably earned, I guess you you could say. Like, Bama had, what, 28 or something like that, 27, and they they only had 306 yards on on the day. Um, That was keeping Jalen Milrow in the pocket a lot, trying to limit the design run game stuff, and then let your corners – handle the Alabama receivers. That's my guess as to what they'll do as well. Probably some some delayed blitzes and whatnot to come after Milrow. Uh, but to me, if you're going to play that way, you need Will Johnson to hold up against Jermaine Burton, right? Mm-hmm. You need Michigan's other corners to hold up against Isaiah Bond, who has gotten better throughout the year. If Michigan's going to win this game, they probably need Milrow to cough it up once or twice, I, I think. And – he definitely made decisions in that Alabama game that were turnover-worthy decisions that did not result in turnovers. So Michigan's going to have to make those decisions actually become turnovers. Obviously, Alabama's going to want to do the reverse, right? Limit the amount of reading defenses Milrow actually has to do. Have him do a lot of design runs. Like I, If I'm Alabama, I want to see Jalen Milrow with the ball in his hands pass the line of scrimmage like 10 times, whether that's design runs or some of the read game or, hey, man, it's one, two, go, you know, Vince Young style, right? 
you running the football is your best skill. Use it. So that's the push-pull there that I see for this Michigan defense. I do think Michigan's defense up front is better than like what Georgia had, right? Personally, I, I, I think yeah. Grant and those mm-hmm. guys are better than what Georgia's running out there this year with, with, with Logan, those dudes, on the defensive front in terms of, of bulk and quickness. Georgia didn't have the same level of studs this year that they did the last two years. So we'll see how, how Alabama handles that. Like this Alabama offensive line got a lot better down the stretch and they started to bang people. Um, can they bang Michigan? We'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, it's, oh, go ahead, Danny. Uh, I, Michigan D is probably the best they've faced all year. Um, I think it's to be real. I think totally agree with you, but they're going to, you know, have a similar game plan. You got to try to, you know, limit Jalen Miller's ability to look, uh, to hurt you with his legs, try to beat you with the mid game pass, you know, mid game, you got your, your corners are going to have to do, uh, you know, a significant job on the deep ball. Cause you know, you're, they're going to take some shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jermaine Burton has been his favorite target, you know, or can you limit those? But then I think on the other side, like I look at the other side of the matchup, and can Michigan run the football against Bama? Like, I think that's Nick Saban's got to be challenging his defensive front seven, saying, these guys want to run it. You guys cannot let them do that. And I think they'll load up the box to do that, and they'll challenge J.J. McCarthy. And my question would be for Michigan, like, do they have the wideouts that can win those big plays? Because I think it's going to be similar. I think it's going to be opportunity for Michigan to take some of those shots down the field. Can their receivers win those matchups? You know, can they hit on those big plays? And it's going to be interesting because we haven't seen that um, back end of the season. J.J. McCarthy, only that one touchdown pass that's been talked a lot about, like, and whether it's because he's hurt, because of the ankle. And I also think J.J. McCarthy is going to have to run the ball some. Like, I think that's got to be an addition to the run game that we didn't see either with that ankle injury. Because I think if you line it up and try to do what you did to Penn State or even Ohio State to some extent, just say we're bringing Blake Corum all day just right at your throat, I think you can. I, I I think they'll try because that's who they are. But you've got to open it up a little bit. And when those shots are there, can they hit on them? And can those receivers win in, against that secondary? Yeah, I I anticipate seeing McCarthy used a lot more in the run game here. I do think that for Michigan, the time that they've had off since the Big Ten championship in this playoff game will come in handy because his ankle has been bothering him quite a bit in the end of the season. I think the bigger question as far as Michigan running the ball against this Alabama defense is the Zach Zinter injury. Because mm. I do think losing him at right guard is a big deal because they were they were struggling at right tackle before Zinter got hurt, and now you're bringing in a backup right guard. That right side of the line is going to be a – that's going to be a focus for me early in this game. I want to see how they're performing, how they're holding up, because I think you'll get a pretty good idea early on of whether or not that's going to work. And if it's not working – it's going to be very hard, I think, for Michigan to really establish the run game that they want. Because like, the one thing about Michigan's run game is that they run a lot of power, but it's they, they do a really good job of like adding in little wrinkles. And some of them are just kind of, I don't know, you can call them distractions or they're just kind of, you know, to mess with a linebacker. And then sometimes they just work it in and, you know, they, they take advantage of it. They try to set a tendency and then break it and try to confuse the defense. And they've been very good at it all year. It's just without Zinter, I don't know if they're going to be able to do a lot of the bells and whistles that they like to use in their run game. So that's a big problem. As far as the receivers on offense, I don't know, Danny. I I, I don't know if those guys are going to be able to get open against Terry Arnold and Kool-Aid McKinstry. I think if Michigan is going to have 
a good day in the air, it's going to have to be the tight ends. It's going to have to be Loveland and Barner having the, you know, the big days over the middle, taking advantage of safeties and linebackers and coverage. Cause those two are kind of, they're difficult matchups for most defenses that they face. And I, I do think going to the other side, this is the best offensive line Michigan's defense has faced. I also think you can make the argument that this is the best defensive line the Alabama offensive line has faced. Yeah. So that is going to be a very, very interesting matchup for me in this one. And then, like, Bud, you touched on it. Jalen Milroe has to take care of the football, but J.J. McCarthy has to take care of the football. Like, McCarthy, by and large, has done a very good job of doing that. But what did we see last year in the playoff? He threw two pick sixes. And we saw earlier this year, I think it was the Bowling Green game, he threw three interceptions. But other than that, he's been good with the football. This is a much different defense. It's a much more talented defense than anything he has faced outside of the Ohio State and Penn State games. And we saw in those games, I mean, he was limited, but he didn't have great days. He wasn't throwing the ball all over the field on those teams. So it's it's going to be an interesting matchup. So there's a great phrase that um, everybody uses, but I it always, in my head, I always hear Bud saying it, where <clears throat> talking about a secondary that will put their hands on you, you know, that they are just mm-hmm. going to, to go right up to you. And when you've got Kool-Aid McKinstry, when you've got Terry on Arnold, when you've got just sort of like Caleb Downs as your, you know, just center fielder, he can, he can get into that run game. Like he's a big part of getting in there, filling a gap. And so can you, Danny, you talk about those 50, 50 balls. I think this is the toughest secondary that those wide receivers have faced all season. And that's going to be like a big step up moment. If Michigan wins, then unless there's crazy coverage busts, I'm expecting that Cornelius Johnson has come up with just a massive third down grab. You know, that you have the tight ends be able to step up and be able to make those conversions because on just sort of a a down-to-down basis, I read this as, uh uh-oh, okay, so Alabama feels confident being able to let those secondary players man up, which means we can bring extra numbers to either stop the run or apply pressure on J.J. McCarthy with an offensive line that's missing Zach Zinter. Like this is a this is a huge part of where I see the game being decided is whether or not these these Michigan wide receivers who I think are capable. Like I we're going to do a lot of picking this game apart, and we are going to give our best bets. This is a phenomenal football game. Like if you really like all the different ways that this game can be decided, and the different ways that these coaching staffs are preparing for each other. Um, like for example, when Michigan has the football, I agree their power game has little wrinkles to it, and I wonder if. There's anything that they see, again, very different run game, but at least in terms of wrinkles, I wonder what they look at from Auburn, right? Because yeah. Auburn was able to run the football against this Alabama defense that's very good and kind of get them out of their fits, you know, get get them caught in a position where that they were compromised in terms of the space on the field. Like I, I think Michigan's got that in the bag, and that's going to be really important for this group as well. So I, I would say that whether or not Michigan can run the football stay ahead of the chains and make life easy on JJ McCarthy feels like one of the biggest keys to me in this game. I agree with you on that. Um, I, I I'm also really curious how healthy is McCarthy and how banged up was he truly during the last month, right? Like we we've heard leg, we've heard shoulder. I don't know just how true that stuff is. Michigan doesn't exactly talk about injuries a whole lot, but they don't even release a depth chart. So frustrating. Right. So, I mean, look, if, if he was really pretty limited physically, how much more healthy, how much healthier is he now than he was? 
I do think Michigan needs McCarthy to be the superior quarterback in this game if it wants to win the football game, right? Like, Bama can get by with 150 passing yards from Jalen Norrow if he runs for 70 and the backs go for like 80. And they, they, they win a game like, you know, 20 to 17. I do think JJ has to be like one of the best players on the field for Michigan to win. He probably has to make a lot of the high level throws that Nick Saban's going to challenge him to make. And that's assuming that Michigan schemes up a couple freebies because they almost have to. I don't think Michigan can win the game without getting a couple of the, I don't want to call them cheapies or freebies, but just stuff to where, oh, wow, all these angles on, on this player, great. We've got it. This is the look we want. Boom, we hit it, we go, right? You can formation Alabama a little bit, as Auburn did, like, like Chip noted. But I think McCarthy is going to have to make some serious plays within structure and then also likely some out of structure where he's running around, you know, uses the big-time arm with the legs to make a, a shot down the field. I think Michigan can win the game. I mean, they're favored for a reason. Bama is certainly not the best version of Alabama that we've seen under Nick Saban. But the Michigan offense has to look better than it has looked over the past month, certainly to win the game, I, I think. Live bet update. What just happened, Danny? <laughs> SMU just dropped a potential touchdown dropped pass touchdown. going down the field. Uh, <laughs> that might have been a month for it. Uh, just to just to piggyback on Bud's point, because I think both quarterbacks, obviously, with Milrow, we know how dangerous he is. Like, I think you have to worry about him going off for a hundred. You know, like, does he go off? With JJ, I think it's more you don't have to worry about the explosive play, but if you're Bama, you want to prevent him from getting those critical third down and three or four. And you know, you have everything defended, they're dropped back to pass, and he extends those drives, like those type of situations, or like Bud was talking about when he scrambles around and he makes a big 30, 40 yard chunk down the field when everything breaks down. Like, I, cause I think there's, they're obviously two different style of quarterbacks, but I do think both of them for different reasons will be integral in kind of how you can stop them and slow them down. Let's go to the sidelines. Nick Saban has how many losses in a game of significance in the BCS college football playoff era with one month to prepare. One. BCS National. Yeah, it was the Ohio State in 2014. BCS National Championship games, uh, win, 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 win. College football playoff era, that first semifinal loss. Every other college football playoff semifinal that Alabama has appeared in under Nick Saban. Um, I mean, that that is going to be a commonly you know referenced point, but that's real, right? That's not just. That that's not just oh Alabama, it, Alabama has better players than a lot of people. You know everyone says like Alabama, Nick Saban has beaten his assistants. Yeah, well he's also beaten everybody else. He's got a great record against everybody. Is there something inherently, especially going up against Jim Harbaugh, who has not won a bowl game since 2015 and is on a 0 and six run in the postseason that is not just 0 and six straight up, but also 0 and six against the spread. Are, do those matter? Does Alabama have a significant coaching advantage in this matchup? No. <clears throat> I mean, I, I know the record with the month to prepare, but how many times has Nick just had the vastly superior team in all those games? That's I'm asking. It's going like, to be thrown out a lot. It's going to be a graphic yeah. on the screen. So let's let's unpack it. It's like you mentioned. Are they favored like, in all those? Probably, yeah. And it's like you mentioned now, his record against his assistants. In those? He, ki- he killed all his assistants until he ran into one of his assistants with a better team than his. So it's like, it's, I don't, I don't buy any of that stuff for 
anything. Maybe there's a tiny advantage, but it's not like Michigan's coaching staff's stupid and they don't know how to prepare a football team for a game. So I, I don't put any stock in that. What I want to know, you guys saw the picture, Harbaugh, Saban, and Mickey Mouse. Yeah. <laughs> Harbaugh's got his arm around Mickey. Nick's standing there. Nick won't even touch Mickey. After all Mickey did for Nick Saban this year, he wouldn't even put his hand on his shoulder. Disgusting. He, he wants to stay away from the rat poison, and that includes mouse poison, and so we're just not touching Mickey. <laughs> no hands on the mouse. Don't take After the cheese. Everything Mickey Mouse did for Alabama this year, he won't touch him. <laughs> Danny, what do you think? Coaching advantage? I mean, is Tommy Reese been in this position? You know, Ooh. like, you know, like there's like in Jerome Moore, that's, I mean, th- if anything, Michigan has the edge of the stiff since they didn't have Jim Harbaugh there for six games. Like they're more ready to step up in this situation. It feels than anyone. Um, I, yeah, I mean, clearly I think Nick Saban has the edge. He's been there. The experience is there. He knows how to pull the right strings. Harbaugh's still in look, looking for that, you know, first playoff win after going over two the last two years. So yeah, I think there's an edge there to Nick Saban. But I totally understand what Tom is saying. Well, how much of an edge would you have the better team? I do think that edge has been minimized because, I mean, clearly this is like one of the teams that Alabama's had that has had more question marks than any, which Nick Saban would even tell you why it's been so enjoyable to see this team rise to the occasion, you know, and have have these wins. I still, you guys call me crazy. Maybe I'm being stubborn. I still think they're a little overrated. I still think Michigan roster-wise – I think you might you might give the edge to Michigan, you know, starting eleven, starting you know on both sides of the ball. I don't know, Bud. Coaching advantage. I mean, maybe slight. Uh, I mean, okay. just in the college game, Saban has definitely been better than Harbaugh has. I, I think overall, now Harbaugh has taken on bigger challenges, like like the Stanford thing, and he obviously resurrected mm-hmm. Michigan. But uh, you know, Saban Man, resurrected Alabama. Yeah, I mean, he's coached in that, so I don't think that's he's right. intimidated. Yeah, like, oh, that is it, what he's doing. In the NFL, I mean, Har- Harbaugh smokes Saban. It's not even close. Well, I mean, you could also go again, and this is this is this isn't like denigrating. Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. I am not, but Nick Saban at Michigan State compared to Jim Harbaugh at Stanford. Oh, this yeah. is really good stuff. We need to clip. <laughs> right. Is Jim Harbaugh, does he actually have a coaching advantage on Nick Saban? Here are the stats. People are asking reaction shot for the thumbnail. Um, I think that <clears throat> I think there is something to be said for knowing the process and having been through the process, and that while this is by a lot of different metrics, one of the least talented or not best Alabama teams at some point. The fact that Nick Saban knows how to go through everything, knows how to put that schedule together and get results, I think that matters. Not that Jim Harbaugh is incapable of doing so. I I just think that in a results business, Nick Saban has more results in the postseason, even in, in recent years. And so I do give an advantage. I also think that within the conversation of this being one of Nick Saban's best coaching jobs is – his mm-hmm. willingness to you know let things unfold over the course of a season uh, bud you mentioned the offensive line that offensive line got a lot better throughout the yeah. year um tommy reese i think got a lot more comfortable with how to put together a game plan and how to call a game for jalen milrow to help set him up he had really good counters by the time we got down to some of those games of significance by the end of the season i mean you 
even if it's Nick Saban, we're like, all right, he, he's going to have a new starting quarterback after losing the number one overall pick. He's got a new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. You're going to be like, well, yeah, it's probably a step back year. You know, they're probably probably not going to be in the playoff. And it was the exact opposite. I I think that Nick Saban, his flexibility is something that is, uh, it, for somebody who's so rigid and still eats oatmeal cream pies all the time, I think his flexibility across the season and in a game is a great strength. And his adjustments are fantastic. Like I, not just the records, but I, I think that Alabama does have a coaching edge in this game. Yeah, and, and until Harbaugh's team show up in the playoff, I, I think you have to give an edge to Saban, right? That there is something that Saban has about about the prep and the approach that he just has licked. And so far, Harbaugh's team, like even going back to, um, like they were a much better team. I thought the the year they played FSU in the Orange Bowl, right? Like back back when people used to care about bowl games. And they look pretty unprepared for that one. So, um, I don't know. Like may- maybe they're going to change up their approach this year. I- I've heard some stuff about that. How they're going to be a little, I don't know, a little more loose with it. But again, who knows? I- Both these teams, I think, are really good teams. I don't think we have a super dominant team this year in college football, and thus I feel like we have more uncertainty uh, in these matchups for the playoff. Like nobody really feels inevitable at this point. Right. Like, do, do they? I, I don't know. Like, maybe I'm missing it. Maybe Bama's just that damn good. I don't know. Like, they play a lot of close games against teams that aren't very good. So, typically, that's a sign that maybe you are not amazing. They could still win a natty, certainly, and, you know, are, are one of the favorites to do so. I, I do think it's interesting how Michigan, though, is still the, the favorite in this game. Yeah. Let's, right, let's get into the best bet side of this. Michigan at one and a half, over under 44 and a half. What's the play? Over. Ooh, I was wow. maybe going the other way. What? Why do you say that? Because there's going to be points scored, Chip. They're going to score mm-hmm. a lot of points, and the points will be scored. Um, I, I mean, just, 24-21 gets you there, so it's not yeah, like... it's not like this has to be a high-scoring game. Yeah. yeah, I think that this is... I mean, I will say, I, I don't feel great about anything in this game, but of the two semis, I feel like this one has the highest blowout potential. It's just it could be either team blowing the other one out. Like I think a lot of people think Alabama can blow out Michigan. I don't think nearly as many realize this Michigan team is capable of blowing out Alabama too. It could go either way. So that's because of that, it's hard for me to really like anything because I also think if it's a blowout, it could be like a 37 to, you know, seven kind of game. So I, I don't know. I, I lean like- under. Or Sorry, go ahead, Danny. No, no, go ahead. I, I lean under. I, I don't. I don't think there's like big edges in this one for me. Um, I mean, I, I I'm in a, a pick and pool with a buddy of mine, and he's very confident on Alabama, and I don't really have an edge on the side. It's like, all right, cool. We'll, we'll roll with Alabama here. Like, I that's that's fine. Um, so like, that's how not convicted I am in betting a side on this game. I really, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're doing really well in the pool, and it will matter. But it's not one of the games I feel like I have an edge on, so I'm not going to pretend. That I do. Uh, there's like so many X factors here that could swing the game one way or another. I agree on Tom's point about the blowout though, because I don't really feel like either team is particularly equipped to come from behind, mm-hmm. right? Like drop back, no play action type thing. Pass pro is definitely a weakness for both teams compared to the run game. So, yeah. Bama did come back versus Tennessee. What was it 20 to 3, 21 to 3, half? Was a weird score, Jordan. What was it? Remind us. Yeah, why, why do we have to make him live that down? I mean, uh, so they have come back. I like Michigan. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's our boy Jordan. Uh, I like Michigan. I think they're the better team. Um, the Zach's inter injury, I'm worried about that one mildly. I think it's in their identity, though, what they want to be. Um, I mean, I know it's it's going to seem that somebody already said it in the chat, like Danny feels salty or whatever. I mean, you had a lot go your way. There was a lot of luck to Bama this year. That's usually not the case. Um, whether it was a fourth down conversion that doesn't get reviewed and they get it to extend points in the board versus Georgia, whether it's a fourth and 31, um, whether it's coming back against Tennessee, which you can, that's not luck, that's coming back. But they also were in a dogfight with South Florida. They did lose to Texas by double digits. I think we're all kind of caught up in what happened against Georgia. And I'm going to go by with the majority of what I saw this season. And then he flipped the script and look at Michigan, even dealing with all the distractions, even dealing without Harbaugh for six games, even with dealing with injuries to J.J. McCarthy, they still pretty much ran through their schedule pretty convincingly. Like there weren't a lot of close games. I think it's because they're really good. Give me Alabama and give me the under. I I could see both of I could see this being a, a game where the clock runs a lot. Well, I think that you know Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh, if neither one's hand is forced by the scoreboard to really press, I would be surprised if we see a lot of tempo in this game. And I have so much respect for both of these defenses that I'm uh, again kind of. But I'm kind of with you here on like it's it's not like a huge edge because it's gonna I've got a really stretch to pull together scores that I think are realistic that are going to end up getting us there. But 24-17 does. It's a sweat. It's a really big sweat. But I I think that's the kind of game that we're talking about right here. And I think that that Michigan might have a better potential. I think we've got a higher percentage chance of Michigan blowout of Alabama than Alabama blowout of Michigan. I think that Alabama has games in college football playoff semifinals that feel like blowouts and the score is 24 to six. They did it to uh, Michigan state. They did it to Washington. They did it to Cincinnati. They did it to Clemson in 2017. These games where if you're sitting there watching it, you're like, Oh, they're only like three plays away from getting back in this thing, but it's just never happening. And so in terms of a blowout by number, I could see a Michigan, you know, huge win on the scoreboard more than I could see an Alabama huge win because even the Alabama blowout, which is an under, is probably one that doesn't have a a massive like twenty eight point deficit. It's probably one where they establish the advantage, realize they're going to get out with the win, and just kind of ride that defense the rest of the way. Also, because the the nature of when it goes wrong for Alabama, it seems that this year to go like hilariously wrong. Like Milrose scrambling for an 18 yard loss and losing the ball type thing. Um, Bama has had some weird snap problems this year, by the way. Like it, it happened even uh, down by the goal line against Georgia. It happened uh, to set up the fourth and a mile uh, against Auburn. So, yeah, in terms of like the type of plays that result in disaster that, that, that can run up the score, you know, Bama has had more of those. I, I do think Bama's ceiling, though, is potentially higher than Michigan's ceiling. Right, like I, I think Bama's defense is probably the best in the country because their ability to cover in the back end. And if Milrow can play a clean game, I think you have to like Alabama's chance of uh, of winning. The question is, like, how many clean games has he had against Georgia? He got away with a lot of stuff. We will see if he can do that. As far as tempo, Bama does do a lot of like tempo to the line, 
check with me stuff. So like they're not really tempoing, but they're not letting you run full subs in, right? Because like they are there at the line ready to snap it. Isn't that from the Tommy Reese book of just trying to like get you with unique personnel combinations? They do a lot of creative stuff with formations, man. Like they, yeah. they, I, I thought I thought Georgia actually played it very well in that game. Like Georgia lost, but like I think they're they're if you go back and watch that, you could tell what Bama was trying to do, and Georgia could kind of tell as well. And it, it was a nice little chess match back and forth. All I will right. say this. I'm kind of who's on the under, Chip. You like the under? Yeah, I like the I like Bama. I like the yeah. under. I think Tom's the only one in the over. Uh my guy Rick Neuheisel. Now he might be partial to the Rose Bowl. He played there. But he always brings it up. He's like, it's a fast track. He's like, it's meant for offense. And if you look back, I was looking back at historically. Now, the last time it was even remotely lower scoring was when Bama played Notre Dame 31-14. Um, so it's been 45 lower. points. But what's that? That was 45 in the points. That's an over, baby. Yeah. So, I mean, like it is typically, you know, it opens up a little bit. So we'll see if that holds true. What year was Bama Notre Dame Rose Bowl? 2020. COVID. Right. Yeah, it's a 2020 season. Not mention that word right now. Yeah. <laughs> 18,000 in attendance. I thought it was like from 1927 or something where it was like before college football got big. No, that was that was the great um, – the Dodfather gets first question for Brian Kelly in the losing coach press conference. He's like, yes. you know, does, does this reveal that you need to like take something over the hump? Because it's like, no, it reveals we played Clemson in 2018 in Alabama. These teams are incredible. <laughs> like, we got a really I, good football team. They're just awesome. Sorry. I have like no memory of that game. That is so weird. It it did not have the same score as what I was referencing earlier, but it was very similar in that you were looking at you're like, well, Ian Book's not going to score 24 points against this team. I have and memory that was that Ian Book season. here, right? That was 2020? Yeah. yeah. In the Rose Bowl. In the Rose Bowl. Well, I thought they played it in the, the Rose Bowl, Bowl though. I thought it was in the Cotton Bowl, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they moved it to Dallas. Yeah. Oh, that is what happened. Because California, California, California was like locked down. They were yeah, letting nobody in that state. California restrictions. So why did they like, call it yeah. the Rose Bowl? Why is it on the Rose Bowl website for a score? Yeah, I, I vividly remember like money. all playoff games, or at least I thought I did. And like, I, I don't. <laughs> Do you remember Najee Harris hurtling over the Notre Dame defender? Yes, in the Cotton Bowl. Like I, I, yeah. I yeah, it was right. the Rose Bowl. Okay. In the yeah. Cotton but it was Bowl. the Rose Bowl. Then it's right. almost like all these games are in the fifties. If you take that, like that one's not there, then maybe there is something to it. So I'm saying fast track. Okay, listen, I, I will trust. Paint. I will trust the coach on the turf analysis of the Rose Bowl. Yeah, it's it's worth it's worth <laughs> the consideration before I have to uh, continue to get out here. All right. Coming up on the other side, we turn our attention to the nightcap on New Year's Day. It's the Sugar Bowl between Texas and Washington. We'll get into that and our Moneyline Sprinkles next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, uh, turning our attention to the Sugar Bowl, which will be a Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Uh, Just, you know, with all that Cotton Bowl confusion, just want to make sure that... We've got our game and we got our city set. Uh, Texas and Washington, two fantastic uh, head coaching jobs done here by both Kalen DeBoer and Steve Sarkeesian, two great offensive minds. Uh, this is why we see this total up at 63 and a half. I mean, 20 points between these two semifinals in terms of looking at the totals. You know, Quinn Ewers, Michael Penix, uh, lots of different ways to, to pick this one apart. Uh, Danny, where do you want to start? I want to start with Washington because I feel like ever since they beat Oregon for the first time, everyone's been sleeping on Washington, including in the Pac-12 championship game where most people thought Oregon would win by double digits. Here, uh, We talked a little bit about, yeah, I think we all did. Um, the other thing, too, we talked a little bit about this with J.J. McCarthy, the month off. I think this break is huge for the Huskies. We noticed it coming down the home stretch. Dylan Johnson in a walking boot. Michael Penix, what's wrong with him? Uh, the receivers, uh, McMillan has been out for a while. He had missed some time. Even Roma Dunze was carrying so much lo- of the load. I, I think the the week off is going to, or the excuse me, the month off is huge. And I also thought their defense improved, and that to me is going to be probably the difference. One, like, are we going to get the new and improved or improved? I guess that's probably right. You know, new and improved Washington defense. That played better against Oregon, or are we going to get the one that struggled with some of the weaker teams on the schedule? And can they protect Penix? Because I do think this will be the most physical front seven that they faced in Texas defensive line. But they also they get the ball out pretty quick too. Like he's a he's been in the system for a long time. Michael Penix has he knows where to go with the football. And if you do bring pressure, there's a lot of guys around to go out there. And as much as we're going to talk about Sark as a play caller, Kalen DeBoer is no slouch either. Right. And dialing up. And he's got he's got some depth there. So somebody's going to be, you know, a duck, a fish, whatever you want to call that mismatch, that defender, and they're going to try to locate him. So, you know, some just initial thoughts on Washington and Texas. I think it's going to be a great I, – I do lean over, too, in this one. I do think it'll kind of live up to it. There's too much firepower on the field. I think the, the number one thing I'm looking for, can Texas slow the Washington run game mm. with a light box? Texas has some real beasts up front that Washington just doesn't normally see in, in, in that conference, right? Uh, Utah is probably the most physical team that Washington saw, and, and like they, you know, they gave them some trouble at times. Um, and Oregon has some dudes up front, but they're not – like, I don't think Brandon Dorless is, is a freak, uh, the likes of like a Sweat and Murphy and those, those type of dudes who Texas has. So can Texas play with the numbers advantage in the back end and take care of the run game? I don't think you're going to shut down the run game, but limit the run game with Johnson and those dudes because Washington, Washington blocks it up real well, and they're clean. Like, they don't make a lot of mistakes. They, they, they know who they're supposed to block. They at least get a piece, not a lot of whiffs. Can Texas cause real problems with their defensive tackles in the middle while playing a light box? I think that's really important because if you look at this, uh, Oregon did not get bombed by Washington on the deep ball 
in that in that second in that re, in that rematch. Really, they it was, Johnson. It was him, and they did a great job with formation and motion to set up a lot of those perimeter screens, which are sort of an extension of the run game. And the receivers all blocked their butts off for each other, right? But part of that was Oregon had to load up a little bit as the game went on against Johnson, and it gave you more you know more better looks uh, to throw those against. And Oregon also clearly concerned about the deep ball. This Texas secondary is probably the weak point of the football team. Uh, that and there's one on offense. I know we'll we'll talk about when we flip to that side of the ball. But to me, it all starts with. I mean, Texas has to be able to to get a a win somehow, somewhere where it does not have a numbers advantage, right? If you're Texas, you're like, all right, I really don't feel great about covering these guys one on one down the field. Can we disrupt enough up front against an offensive line that won the Joe Moore Award? to give us numbers to combat the screen game, to make sure that we are clean in the back end, to make sure that if, if we're traveling corners, you know, we're, we're traveling, we're not out of position, right? It, where If we're playing more zone, then we keep leverage on it because we're not so concerned about the run game because we know even though a man down, we're going to win physically. Like that's probably, that'll be an early tell in this game. Can Texas be disruptive against the run game without having to commit too many men to the box? I don't even think it's just the run game. I just think this game is going to come down to Sweat and Murphy. Like mm. it's for what you're saying to stop the run game for sure. But I also think like Michael Penix is impossible to sack. Like if, if you look at the numbers, like he's, he, he never gets, he never goes down. They never get to him, but Texas needs to get interior pressure from Murphy because like they do bring pressure. Texas is one of the best, you know, pressure rates as far as defenses in the country. And I think that if you can get it from the interior, which is what having Sweat and Murphy gives Texas a huge advantage in against that offensive line, most of the time when Penix is under pressure, it's coming from the outside and he's able to get away to the other side and escape. If you come in from the middle and you take collapse the pocket on him, I don't know if he's going to be able to get away because Michael Penix is not the most mobile quarterback in the country. Like, you don't see him running a ton. He's typically a pocket passer who will move around and, you know, find open lanes to get the throws down. So if you can get that pressure on him from the middle, that's how you're going to slow down this Washington offense. Because if you don't, like you're mentioning, bud, their secondary is their weak spot. Roma Dunze and those guys are going to get open and Penix is going to hit them and they're pretty much going to be able to, you know, name their score. And then it's just going to become can Texas match and keep scoring as many points as they can. I think they can. I think it'll be a fun shootout. But I do think that that one area, depending on how well that goes for Texas or how well it goes for Washington, that's the team that's going to win. Hmm. But what do you think is the weakest part of the team? You mentioned it earlier for Texas. I think defensively, it, it, it's, it's a second back end. But what about the um, offense? I also am interested to see, like, I think having Ford is a big advantage in this game. You know, can Washington confuse a young player like Hill, who's got a boatload of athleticism? But, I mean, Washington does so much stuff with shifts and formation and motion. How much does having the, the run-up to this game, the 15 practices to rep it, how much does that help you, right? Like, can you can you send this stuff? I, I think it probably helps some. On the flip side, I think that for a weird reason, Texas – is not great in the red zone. If I'm Washington, I don't think I can cover these guys with my guys down the field. But I can maybe win in the red zone because Texas has shown a, a real ability to kind of mess around. You know, Sark does such a damn good job. We talk about big game Sark, and Sark is a play caller. And, you know, formationing and motion, just like DeBoer does, to get the matchups that he wants and, and to get get his guy on your, your duck, if you will. 
but that's harder to do in the red zone, right? And yours is really good at hitting these wide open guys because Texas schemes him. And he also can make some tough throws, but he's not been as good in the red zone. So if I'm Washington, I want to force Texas to beat to beat me in the red zone. And I don't like I don't really love my guys trying to cover Mitchell and if Worthy's healthy and I think he, I, I mean so I was looking at he's practicing, you know, like yeah. I know he was on crutches at the end of the uh championship game, but even like a week ago, he said that Xavier Worthy was back. My anticipation is he's he's good to go. Um, as as dangerous as Xavier Worthy is, it you should expect him to be. I think he'll be ready to go for this one. I think he matters. You know, with, with how much they move him around and and his threat to just take it take the distance, I, I think he really matters. What's it, Danny? What's the Texas thing that stands out to you? Uh, I'm curious to see uh, the backs because CJ Baxter has been kind of the lead back. Is he there? Is he up to speed? Um, pass protection, you know, kind of filling in that role. Uh, Jonathan Brooks was one of the better ones, and they've been without him for a while, so it's not like he's breaking in brand new. But I'm curious there. I'm curious to see if they can establish the run. You know, can can they start running the football, kind of control that line of scrimmage? That is where I do think Texas has the advantage along the offensive and defensive lines. And so can they establish that and kind of impose their will in what's a very, you know, physical game? And, I, I, you know, it's something – it has been brought up about the red zone inefficiency for Texas. It is a little bit perplexing, but definitely is something real. So if you can kind of keep everybody in front of you, not let them give up the big ball, get them down there, force them to field goals, that's a huge win if you're Washington. 100%. We've been talking about Texas's red zone woes all season long. You know, if there's a if if there if there's an aspect to this where Washington would be able to close any kind of perceived disadvantage gap. That would be it. And I'll tell you what, I don't think, uh, if I'm Texas, I'd like to put Washington away because I think the reason people are sleeping on Washington is because of all the close games. They won nine straight games that were decided by 10 points or less. That's bananas. I mean, it is something that we have not seen in the modern era of college football, to be able to string together nine straight wins of 10 points or less. And so who's got more confidence down there in like those final moments? Kalen DeBoer's got these guys ready to play. I think I think if you're Texas, you want to be able to jump out to a big lead and then just kind of defend it. If this thing comes down to who is going to make, if, if it's one quarterback that has to make a play in the fourth quarter of a game, Give Michael Penix the edge over Quinn Ewers? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah. He's been yeah. there, done it more. It's- Quinn's been like hot and cold. He's a little streaky. Yeah. Even within games. I mean, look how he started the Oklahoma game. It looked like it was going to be a disaster. And he actually rebounded and played pretty well to give him a chance. Took him down the field, you know, for the – and I think that was more in the play call than it was on him to kind of settle and not go for the juggler but go for the field goal. Um, but Penix has been there – multiple times you know this season and come out on the winning end tom what's the what's the best bet for the game where are we going over all right who's winning you got a coin on you i could flip real quick um i mean i i feel like texas is the more complete team because i do think defensively i i like the longhorns better than i like the huskies but I've said the same thing about Oregon twice now. 
when Washington was going up against the Ducks, and Washington won both of those games. So I'm picking Texas to win the game, but that's just because they asked me for a pick. I, I, I have no idea who's going to win the game. I just think it'll be high scoring. I, I think Texas has more difference makers on defense, and I'm, I'm going to go Texas. Like I'm not hammering this. I don't think it's a, a best bet, but if I had to bet the game, I, I would lay it with Texas. Uh, I do think Washington is really good. I just think that, you know, Texas has defensive linemen that I think, and granted, Washington has some too as well. Like this is a, it's a good matchup, but I, I do think Texas has more like special players and like next level guys. So I'll go Texas. I like Washington in the four and a half for sure. I don't hate them to win the game, but I'll take up those points because I do think this will be a fun game. I like the over too. I think it will come down to that, um, you know, fourth quarter type game. I just think we've been sleeping on and started the conversation with this. I think we've been sleeping on Washington all year long. I picked them to win the Pac-12 and kind of got off it. I was like, eh, they got some weaknesses, defenses, and liability. They have just found ways to win. They went undefeated in the best conference in college football this year. I declared them a wagon in like week four. I haven't been sleeping yeah. on anybody. I just yeah. think that- no, I said me. I said oh, me. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, they've damn it. they've won so they've won 20 straight games right now. Mm-hmm. And you know what one of those also was? Beating Texas. Beating Texas. 27 to 20 in last year's Alamo Bowl. One of the lowest scoring Alamo Bowls of all time. Disappointing. They did play like crap for a month. They did. Right? Like, totally. I mean, there was some reason to get off Washington. Like, they started playing poorly uh, for, honestly, about a month. And And that's where I do think that's where it comes back. I think they were banged up. I think they started the season started to wear on them, lost players at critical positions, or they're playing out there at 60, 70%. But most importantly, they didn't lose, you know? Yeah, basically, the you had uh, 15-7 to 7 against Arizona State at home, set off a bunch of alarm bells in the immediate aftermath. <clears throat> you then have 42-33 uh, to 33 at Stanford. That wasn't great. Went in a shootout against USC, made sense. Utah came into Seattle, gave them a fight. 22 to 20 against Oregon State wasn't really pretty. 24 to 21 against Washington State wasn't really what a lot of people were expecting. And then that Oregon game, 34 31, but I kind of got Washington having the upper hand in that one the whole way. That was a good job by the Ducks to be able to, you know, come back and, and give themselves a chance to pu- pull off a miracle. But, um, yeah, it's, Washington and Alabama are both occupying this space where you're like, I mean, all those close games. And then the other side of it is like, yeah, but they win all those close games. So, uh, all right. So we Not got all of them. One of them won them all. One of them one lost of- one. I'm oh, sorry. Don't forget. All right. So you got Michigan, Danny, you got Michigan and Washington in your title game. I do. Sick. All right. And then coin flip. I've got Alabama and Texas, but, um, I'll go Texas, Michigan. Okay. Read the really science, boys. Oh, what we we've established games don't matter this year. So the only way that this season can end is Alabama beating Texas in the national title game. It's really <laughs> yeah. the only yeah, way that's, that's See, right. we were right. Yeah, that's the full right. yeah, yeah, that's the that's the full circle. The mm-hmm. CFP CFP and on rules say that uh, that that that's the way that this should end. All right. Coming up on the other side, our. Money line sprinkles for the college football playoff. We'll also do an update on our sprinkles that we've got so far. Next.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To update some of the recent uh, sprinkle results that we have had, uh, Tom and Chip both taking massive L's with the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. Boom. That uh, that sprinkle was not in the cards uh, much at all. We've got NC State, Miami, and Kentucky uh, coming up as well. The reminder of the other uh, money line sprinkles we got on the board. Tom is on Iowa and Ole Miss for the 30th and the 1st. Bud is on Iowa and Maryland. Uh, and I'm on Iowa, Wisconsin, and Ole Miss. Danny, do you want to add any uh, sprinkles for? Well, can uh, I get on Florida State? Well, I mean, plus yes. 19. What's the outright? What's the outright money line? Let's go. All right. Well, um, we can check it thanks to our not. friends because. I would not. This Moneyline Sprinkles segment is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel, make every moment more. And FanDuel Danny, is the best price right now. Plus 890, Danny. Wow. Plus 890. So Danny in there for Florida State, plus 890. Oh, you're putting that on there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely a word of caution. I got two for you. All right. uh, I would take Oklahoma, an underdog against Arizona. All right. And uh, when's the Ole Miss-Penn State game? That's going to be is that next week or is that Saturday? Saturday. I'll take, that. I'll take uh, Ole Miss. Danny jumping on Ole Miss as well. And then Oklahoma. Yeah, we got a little plus 110 from our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, first one to uh, to take the Jackson Arnold experience on the Moneyline Sprinkles. I like to see it. Okay. College football playoff semifinal Moneyline Sprinkles. Our lines are tight. The payouts are not big, but there's still some opportunity there. Who wants to throw one on the board? Uh, give me Alabama's money line. What's it at? Uh, even. Yeah. So is it even plus money? That's the thing. Is it even? There's some, yeah, there's like some plus 08, plus 05. I'll take okay. a plus 05. All right. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, FanDuel Sportsbook has Alabama plus 108. That's, uh, oh, that's then I'll cool. give me the 108 if FanDuel's got it. Yeah, that's where, uh, that's where yeah. I'm going to be going as well, picking Alabama to win the game. Uh, who else wants to throw one on the board? I'll take the only one worth any value. Give me Washington. We were just talking about him. Got Washington plus one fifty two for Danny. Bud, you want to you you sitting on it or uh you, what what I'm, you gonna take here? I'm okay here. I I really I, cool. I don't uh, I don't see a lot on this. Um, maybe some second half opportunities. We will see. Sorry. So Tom and Chip jumping on Alabama plus 108 because the way the season is supposed to end is with Texas losing to Alabama, thereby justifying all of the decisions of the selection committee. Uh, Danny going to jump on Washington, which 
They have been sleeping on the team from Seattle, plus 152. Uh, Bud going to keep it parked. He's rooting for Iowa and Maryland and Kentucky and NC State here in the next couple games for his Moneyline Sprinkles. And this Moneyline Sprinkles segment is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel, make every moment more. Did we ever hear from the dentist? We texted him. Uh. Yeah, I think he liked Penn State. Let me see what he said. Wow. 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 Um, Turning his back on the Rebels. Yeah, let me see here. What a hater. I got a question uh, for you. Yeah. While you're looking at uh, up. Give me Penn State minus four and a half is what he says. Wow. Fight mm. with the dentist. That's a root canal. Get it? Root canal? There you go. I did see... uh, So they can have freshmen can enroll early and go to bowl practices, right? They can start working with the team. Yeah. Can transfers? Um, And if so, why not? If they're enrolled, I think they can, yeah. But I guess you couldn't enroll because classes haven't started. I don't know. I thought it was interesting. It was I don't know. About it. So who would you who would you be pulling in for bowl practice? Well, I was just thinking about well, doesn't Ole Miss have the number one uh, transfer class? Okay, but mm-hmm. those, those guys can't play though. Like the freshmen can't right. play in the bowl. Like they could right. practice in theory. You could get them work. Let's go. I mean, Alabama brought in Michigan. Paying coaches. them all that money, start earning it. Yeah, what like, it, 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 it Alabama just hiring Michigan staffers. Yeah. Yeah. So, All right, this this field hope he know is so bad. Oh my gosh! Right hey, SMU's yeah, on the board though. This might be the final score. The way this thing's going. This is this is why they don't play baseball games in the rain. This will not be the final score. Somebody will have a ridiculous or in turnover, December. Like, like a, a snap <laughs> over their head type thing. Fairly sure. Just Shout press. out to Tom, muscling through this thing, battling sickness. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well done. Good Thank job, you. Tom. We appreciate Thank it. Uh, we will be back with you on New Year's Day, right? After night. the semifinals? Yeah, yeah. at night. Yeah. <clears throat> After the semifinals. It'll probably uh, be more like January 2nd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see uh, what that is. But, of course, uh, make sure you're subscribed to the Cover 3 podcast on YouTube, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, if, if, we, if we need to go live, we will. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 Follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. COVID sucks. See y'all.